Welcome to Shift with CJ. I'm your host CJ and together we will explore the areas of health, human performance, biohacking, psychology and much more that will inspire you to become the best version of yourself. Do you find yourself playing this game of weight loss for life or are you tired of yo-yo dieting and constantly losing weight and gaining weight or you've tried a lot of these different diets but nothing has worked for you? So, ladies and gentlemen, don't look any further than today's podcast today. I have got a special guest for you. My guest on the show today has got so many titles and she wears so many hats, but she's done a lot of incredible things in psychology, nutrition, integrative medicine, functional medicine. She is the founder of Well Empowered, a holistic wellness platform where she has changed many lives. Everyone, please welcome Dr. Jesse Haymeyer on the show today. Jesse, welcome. Thank you so much, CJ. It's such a pleasure to be here with you and your community. I'm glad and the whole community is excited to listen to you because weight loss is a special topic in this part of the world. A lot of people that I meet aren't concerned about many things when it comes to their health, but they tie their health to weight loss. Mm-hmm. And I think health goes, health and wellness goes way beyond weight loss, but it's for most people, it's limited to that. So let's look at, or let's start off with weight loss. Tell me something. For most people out there, they might have a simple definition in their head that is calories in versus calories out, which means that if I ate 2,000 calories and if I could burn 2,250 or 2,500 or 3,000 calories, I'm going to hit my weight loss goals. And most doctors or nutritionists here will tell people this. What's your take on calories in versus calories out? That is a great question, CJ. Well, uh, my take is that it is a piece of the puzzle, but it's certainly not the whole puzzle. So calories do play a role in our weight. Another way to say that is the law of thermodynamics is real, right? Mm -hmm. It does, the calories we consume does impact the number we see on the scale, but it's definitely not the whole story. Not all calories are created equally. So when I think about how nutrition, our food and beverages affects our weight, there are three ways. The first one you just mentioned is calories, you know, the way, the amount, total amount of calories we are consuming. The second way, what we are eating and drinking affects the scale is the hormonal impact. So the way that our foods and beverages affect our hormone levels, everything from um, whether we experience satiety as a result of producing leptin and cholecystokinin, our, our satiety hormones, meaning we feel like we've been fed, we're, we're full, we don't feel like we need to eat anymore, um, as well as whether we're promoting the production through our nutrition and beverages of leptin, our primary hunger, I'm sorry, of uh, ghrelin, our primary hunger hormone, right? So the hormonal impact of of our food and beverages is, is the second way that our weight is affected. And there are more hormones than the ones I've just mentioned, right? Insulin mm-hmm. one is, is a, definitely a big one. When we're producing lots of insulin, we are pushing our body into metabolic conservation mode, also known as fat storage, right? So mm-hmm. the way that our food and beverages in, interacts or impacts rather our production of hormones is a, the second way that 
nutrition impacts the scale. The third way is through inflammation. So the foods and beverages we're consuming, they are almost always either pro-inflammatory or anti-inflammatory. In other words, there's not there aren't too many things that we'd say are net neutral, right? Just kind of fall in the middle. Most things either push our body towards inflammation or away from inflammation. And when inflammation is elevated, our body is going to be in, again, metabolic conservation, aka fat storage mode. So those three ways that our food and beverages, just to kind of summarize that all, impact mm -hmm. our weight and it are through calories through their impact on hormones, and then through their impact on inflammation. Okay, that's really interesting because I have this conversation with a lot of people most of the times, and I'm, I completely agree with you. I think the conversation goes way beyond calories in and calories out. That's a very simple thing, but mm -hmm. our bodies are complex. Our individual metabolisms are complex, and the way we nutrients act on our body, which impacts our genes which one switch on or switch off how our lifestyle is that actually changes a lot of those things but i heard you mention or i read a quote on your instagram which says that we're not it it went something around you're not what you eat but you're what you don't excrete <laughs> so and this goes into the conversation of detox so can you tell us yes. on that like that concept and what do you yes. mean by that yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a good one. You're not what you eat, you're what you don't excrete. So fundamentally speaking, um, in you know, we are both what we eat, and we are also what we don't excrete. We're both of those mm -hmm. things. But um, on when we are consuming, you know, living in our world, right, we are in invariably encountering pollutants. And, and also inside of our body, you know, detoxification, typically, we think about the pollutants we encounter, whether they're in the air or pesticides, uh, maybe things we're putting on our body, uh, stuff like that. We typically think about those things going through our detox pathways, heavy metals, stuff like that. And while that's true, we are also processing our hormones and byproducts of metabolism through those very same detox pathways. And so our detox pathways handle a lot of different things. And if they are not running well, smoothly, if, if phase one and phase two aren't matched up well, if our, if we're reabsorbing toxins through our gut, which is typically, which is where phase three happens, if they're not all running smoothly, we're going to reabsorb toxins. And these toxins are going to cause cellular damaging. They're going to produce free radicals, right? They're going to, you know, cause harm to our genes, all kinds of mm -hmm. stuff, uh, interfere with our ability to produce energy. Uh, so when we are not properly, um, moving our toxins, those that we produce internally and those that we encounter in our environment, both of them through those detox pathways, they are going to have a negative impact on our body. And there are a lot of different things when I'm working with people, there are a lot of different things that I look at to understand if this is at play in their health. Because again, you know, we think about the impact of reabsorbed toxins on our body, it's going to increase inflammation. So again, with, with someone who's dealing with weight, if their inflammatory markers are high, that is one of the places I'm going to be looking to see if there's work we need to do to clean up their detox pathways, um, both by reducing the amount that's being processed through them, 
as well as supporting them, kind of greasing the wheels so that they run a little bit better. Um, one way I think about detoxification, and this isn't the only way someone would know they have higher toxins in their body than ideal, but if mm -hmm. you are not having, um, you know, daily ideal and, and really, really ideally multiple times a day, but that's not going to work for everyone. But daily bowel movements, that is mm -hmm. one of the ways we get rid of our toxins as well as through our urine and our sweat. Um, so if someone comes to me and they are struggling with constipation, by default, I'm like, okay, we've got some detox work to do here. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And thank you for sharing that. And you mentioned three phases of the detox, phase one, phase two, and phase three. Mm -hmm. Can you give us a brief on like what these phases are or yeah. where did they happen? Yeah, I love talking about detoxification because first of all, like the word is so chic. The word detox mm -hmm. just like gets everybody excited. You know, it's like, oh, a supplement that supports my detox. Pathways, yeah, but most people know. would be thinking that uh, cleansing with the juice or having a few yes. Corella tablets is detox right. only. But of course, it goes way beyond that. Yes. Well said, CJ. Well said. So, so yes. Yeah, so phase one and phase two, those happen in the liver. And I kind of think about it like a game of like leapfrog. So you can kind of think about the frog being the toxins and the frog jumps from the first lily pad to the second pad, lily pad. And that's, that's phase one. And to make that happen, all the enzymes that play a role in that, they need a variety of different nutrients to work well. So, so just simply put, uh, there are nutrients that help those enzymes work well. And so we, I, one of the things that I'll do is, is assess those nutrients because if they're depleted, I already know by default that, those, that phase one is going to be impacted. Now, phase one for most people is the phase that is more likely to run well which sounds like good news, except for when that frog is on that second middle lily pad hanging out in the, in, in the, you know, in between all the other phases it needs to go to, it's when it becomes most damaging. So when phase one and phase two aren't matched up, aren't in sync, which happens with some frequency for people for a variety of reasons, when that frog is sitting on that lily pad in the middle, it wreaks havoc on the body right? It pre produces more free radicals, more damaging byproducts than it did when it didn't, when, before it even started the detox pathways, right? So we always want to make sure phase two is matched up with phase one. And similar, similarly, when that frog is leaping from that second lily pad to the third one, in other words, going through that phase two, the enzymes on that, um, that are associated with phase two require different um, you know, uh, cofactors and things to mm -hmm. support them. Um, from that phase two, there that is when toxins are are ready. Fundamentally speaking, I'm just going to step back and say something from a high level for people. The detox processes are designed to move toxins, which are naturally fat soluble, which means they're absorbed and stored in our body. So turn them from fat-soluble entities to water-soluble because we don't get rid of fat in our body. A healthy body doesn't let go of fat through urine or through bowel movements or through sweat or breath or anything like that, right? So the whole entire design of our detox pathways is to take something that starts out as fat-soluble and turn it into something that's water-soluble so that we can excrete it in our urine, in our bowel movements, in our sweat, and in our breath. 
right? So once those toxins have gone through that second phase, so it's gone from lily pad one to lily pad two, lily pad two to lily pad three, then it's ready to get rid of, out of our body. So it starts to enter our digestive tract, which is where phase three happens. And if we're not drinking sufficient water, if we are not having daily bowel movements, which a lot of different things can contribute to that, a disruption of the microbiome, um, people being in a fight or flight state versus rest and digest, um, insufficient production of digestive enzymes, which is a little related to that last point, but all those, you know, a lot of different reasons why someone might not be having a, a healthy bowel movement. But once it enters the digestive tract, from that phase two processing in the liver, then it's ready to exit our body. And so we just want to help get it out then. Mm -hmm. And this is an entire process that you beautifully explained that it starts off with the fat soluble toxins, mm -hmm. and then the body has this natural ability to convert it via different steps into water soluble molecules, which then can be excreted out. Now you mentioned going bowel movements as one, sweat is one, urine mm -hmm. is one. Do you think a lot of people face detoxification issues because of our sedentary lifestyle, which means a lot of people have been sitting in air conditioned rooms most of the times. They don't really go out and break a sweat. A lot of people, I mean, nowadays there's a lot of people doing this, but, you know, lack of access to like saunas or places where they can really excrete those toxins out. Do you see this a lot? Yeah, definitely. I definitely see all of those, uh, though, you know, having people sweat, we want to capitalize on every way we can get rid of toxins. So mm -hmm. certainly, yeah, you know, making sure people are sweating and, and moving. I, I, I will say as a whole, though, when I, when I work with people, whether it's one-on-one -on -one or in a group, I always want to start where people are. Right. In other words, if someone has been sitting at the de their desk for the last decade, it's really unlikely my mm. next recommendation is gonna is going to be let's have you you know get outside and start running in ninety degree weather or whatever. Yeah. Right. But but certainly that is you know the trajectory will be encouraging someone to move towards optimizing every single point um, that we can. And then I will also add to that that they are willing to, right? Because mm -hmm. people need to be willing to do things that sometimes are just uncomfortable, right? True, especially when it requires a little bit of hard work and a little bit of discipline and a little yeah. bit of, yeah, going outside your comfort zone. What is, you mentioned there are different enzymes and cofactors and nutrients that are missing due mm -hmm. to which people have a hard time in detoxifying. What is for you that one nutrient that you would advise anyone or everyone to start incorporating in their lives was is it a binder is it a nutrient like what can, oh that's such what's a the most question. bang for the buck okay i'm gonna make this super easy yeah the most bang for the buck can i give you well i would say fiber and water <laughs> really okay, fiber cool. and water yeah. right um because when i think about the phase one and phase two that it, it is so individual right so you know, we want to make sure people have sufficient B vitamins because those mm -hmm. are really essential for uh, especially phase one of detoxification pathways. But we also want to make sure people have sufficient protein because amino acids are essential to phase two um, mm -hmm. and antioxidants to clean up. You know, even if somebody has detox pathways that are just coming along, 
that that middle, you know, that second, you know, lily pad we talked about where the frog causes problems, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to make sure we do have, you know, vitamin C and CoQ10 and glutathione and beta carotene and all these wonderful mm-hmm. antioxidants to help dampen the impact of, you know, what's just naturally happening in the body. But, you know, across the board, um, I would say making sure people are, you know, a natural binder is fiber, right? Mm-hmm. So if I'm working with someone clinically and I do see see a need to for, uh, you know, heightened level of detox support, you're totally right, CJ, I will grab a binder, right? Whether that detox support is, is required due to increased, um, you know, the hormones out of balance or uh, heavy metals or or a disruption of their microbiome, um, I will definitely grab a binder to help support the removal of both the entity that is a problem, as well as, uh, especially when it comes to the microbes and the microbiome, right, the toxins they produce. Interesting. Thank you for sharing that. And this was relevant for me at this time, because I'm going through a, through a detoxification program or a protocol and that's designed to detox heavy metals, toxins, but there's it involves a lot of suppositories, which a lot of people will not have, and EDTA and all of that stuff. But let's shift gears. One of the other things, in my opinion, and I want to check with you, is our sleep. A lot of people, especially in my part of the world, are either sleeping late or they're not sleeping enough. Well, let's not keep it to my part of the world. The entire world is not getting enough sleep. 80% of us are sleep deprived. And this translates into fatigue the next day and a loss of um, focus, loss of energy. But very few people talk about its effect on metabolism and its effect on weight. So what's your take on sleep and weight loss? Yeah, it really does, CJ. You're so right. It really it plays a big role in a variety of ways. Firstly, as it pertains to our hormones, right? So for any hormone to work well, hormones are chemical messengers in our body, and we've got tons of them, tons of different types of hormones, our sex hormones, our thyroid hormones, uh, insulin, like we talked about, our hunger hormones, our satiety hormones, right? We've got lots and lots of different hormones. But uh-huh. for any hormone to work well, we need to produce the hormone and we need to receive the message. So it's a bit like a ball in a mitt, right? Produce it and receive the message. And when we are sleep deprived, our body is infinitely less skilled at doing that, right? Mm -hmm. We don't produce them in ideal amounts. We don't receive the message as well. And so there are studies that show um, the, the really negative impact of, um, of insufficient sleep on insulin and therefore our fasting glucose and therefore our weight, right? When we're producing more insulin than our body needs, just as a reminder, that's going to put our body into metabolic conservation, AKA fat storage, right? So that is definitely one of the ways that, um, the hormonal impact and also, you know, it will impact our production of our thyroid hormones. So insufficient sleep causes lots of different problems there. Um, the other thing that I think most people, I like, I like it when people can kind of bring it back to their own personal experience. And so for all of your listeners, I invite you to kind of notice for yourself the next time for whatever reason, maybe it's a typical day or maybe you're traveling or maybe you have a child mm-hmm. who woke you up in the middle of the night, right? The next time that you are sleep deprived, notice 
your hunger, right? Just notice what you're drawn towards and the way what you're inclined to Sugar. eat. Sugar. <laughs> right? Exactly. Exactly. That's, bingo, bingo, that's bingo. Where, right? That's where we it, go. It, it's so true, right? Because not only because of the hormonal impact, right? We're not, commu- mm-hmm. our brain's not getting messages very well, but also because there's a fundamental misunderstanding, right? Our body needs energy in the form of sleep, but it's mis- it's like a case of mistaken identity. Our body confuses it. Our brain confuses it for, I need energy in the form of fast fuel, sugar, mm-hmm. sugar, 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 simple carbs, white potatoes, rice. All those mm-hmm. things that are the exact same thing, biochemically speaking, as the big old piece of cake. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and you get even more, in my own personal story, I feel even more drawn to some of these things. And even like just sweetness in my life. I feel like there's this whole sweetness thing missing in my life. And normally I would not reach out for anything sweet. But the days that I'm sleep deprived, that's the first thing mm-hmm. I go to. And also, I feel that because of this whole roller coaster thing that's happening with like your insulin spiking and then it dropping, it affects a lot of your daily activities like decision making, your motivation. The days that I'm, I'm even irritated for some reason. Most of the day, I'm just so irritated. And then that translates into you not showing up as maybe not the best version, but just an average version of yourself. And that can impact relationships, that can impact so many other things. So I think this. Sleep is so critical. And I think even over a period of time, if you just decide not to sleep enough, your metabolism also downregulates. So A, you're eating a lot of calories and B, your basal metabolic rate also downregulates. So now you're just putting on more weight, like you said, metabolic conservation. So do you have or do you see that so there is high intensity interval training, there's CrossFit, there is a bodybuilding, there's super slow strength training, ARX, so many different kinds of training out there, Pilates, yoga. If we were looking at weight loss, is there a certain training modality which is superior to the other or have you seen something that works best for everyone? So I would say, you know, in a perfect world, we don't have to just choose one, right? Um, But the one I would say I encourage people to prioritize, right? If they're starting from a blank slate, or even if they're not, right, maybe they do like working out and they're just trying to figure out what's best for their body. I am always going to encourage prioritization of the strength training and strength training at a meaningful intensity, right? So as you maybe know, I'm a big fan of slow strength training, that super slow mm-hmm. strength training, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's. So I was uh, a co-founder before I went to graduate school of the first high-intensity boutique strength training facility in Chicago in 2002, mm-hmm. and I sold my half about four years later and ultimately, you know, went to grad school, but I still go there. So it's still open, you know, 21 years later. And, um, it, it, I'm, I'm a big believer in, in the slow strength training method for a few reasons. One is it's safe, right? Typically people get injured strength training because they're using momentum versus their muscle. Right. And that's also what makes it very effective because 
you're just using your muscle, right? Not mm. momentum. And then in addition to that, you're working your muscles in a very uh, challenging way. So you're working to the point where you can't move the weight, but you keep trying for 10 more seconds and hitting that level of fatigue or what we might say failure, even though none of us mm. like that word, um, you know, really stimulates the muscle to rise to the occasion and build more you know, to grow and build stronger, right? So that level of intensity is very effective and it's also very efficient. So you don't need to do it very much. Once or twice a week, if you're really doing pure super slow, is plenty. Now, not everybody will, not everybody's willing to, right? It's just too hard. They can't, you know, they it, they just won't do it if that's the only It takes option. some time to get used to it. Yes, 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 yes. And I think of it a little bit like, to me, it's a little, uh, it's a, a practice in being both diligent and kind, right? I know I can count on myself to give 100%. I really do know I can. And so on any given day, I will give 100%. And there's a little bit of making peace with one day 100% might be a little different than 100% another day, but either day, it's 100%. So it's, I, I find it a very interesting, almost like meditative practice, right? I don't know how you feel about it. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sore from my last workout. Every time yes. I try it, I yeah. do get sore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, right now, what I, I used to do twice per week, a full body split mm -hmm. of about 20 minutes, under 20 minutes of yeah. one exercise each mm -hmm. um, and super slow for anyone who's listening and who don't, who didn't understand this. We're talking about a method in resistance training where you typically for me i put a timer of about two minutes mm -hmm. and i lift the weight really slow like six to ten seconds up and six to, on the eccentric and six to ten seconds on the concentric and what this does is it allows for greater utilization of the muscle it allows for higher time and attention and it allows for a bigger impact in a lesser amount of time and for everyone who's listening who most of us are familiar with, you know, going to the gym, hitting a few body parts and having like maybe 10 or 15 sets done for it. Well, with this, you can do one or two sets per body part and it gives you like similar impact. So what I'm doing, Jesse, right now is that I strength train three times per week and mm -hmm. one day a week, I'll do super slow training. One day a week, I'll try to do more of a power lifting sort of a training just to increase raw strength. And one day a week, I'll do like a power training. So I'll just move weights really fast because I've seen some studies that as we age, it's not just the strength that and the muscle quality that we lose, but much before that, we lose our power. Mm. And athletes were able to keep up their power by using lighter weights, but doing more explosive kind of uh, reps. Then that is also one road that leads to longevity. I love that. Any takes on that? I, you know what? I'm not familiar with that research, but I hope you'll mm -hmm. share it with me after today's I'll share it show because I love that. That sounds great. Really great. I love what you've constructed there. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So we have strength training, resistance training. Yes. What about for all those people who want to lose weight and they, to them, working out is actually being on the treadmill for 45 minutes or an hour? Ah, yes. Okay. Well, and to say a little bit more about how strength training impacts weight, right? Mm -hmm. When we increase our resting, when we increase our muscle mass, we increase our resting metabolism. And that means we burn more calories all day long. 
So I always tell people, you know, if you can add muscle to your pinky, do it, right? Yeah. So everywhere we can add muscle, a lot of times people think about spot training. Oh, I tend to gain weight in my fill in the blank. And so I just want to mm-hmm. do that, right? But we really do want to, you know, as you were sharing, CJ, do that full body workout so that we maximize muscle because then we're really maximizing resting metabolism. But to speak to those who associate the cardiovascular exercise with weight loss, um, I hate to break hearts, but it's just not an effective way to get it done, right? I'm not saying don't do aerobic activity. (laughs) Um, if If aerobic activity brings you lots of joy, then you should definitely figure out a way to have it be a part of your life. But just get that it is not the keys to the weight loss kingdom. And I can say personally, there was a period where I thought it was, even though I wasn't getting outcomes when I was in college. Um, I would, I, I went to UCLA undergrad and I loved running. So I would run, run, run all, you know, run for hours. I literally would run for hours and I was probably about 20 pounds heavier than I am now. Um, incidentally, it was also during the time, the era of fat free, uh, being Mm -hmm. all the rage, it like makes me cringe to even say it out loud. So there, there was a lot going on there, but fundamentally speaking, you know, the cardiovascular, you know, cardio is not the route to weight loss, right? It is the route to increasing endorphins. And, you know, there's some good research around just general movement longevity, you know, about 7,500 steps or more is, is kind of, you know, the great place to, to target in just general movement and its positive impact on our well-being and our longevity. Um, but, but 45 minutes on the treadmill is, is just not, the way to do it, which hopefully for some of your listeners is good news, right? Because sometimes I, when I'm meeting with someone initially, and they will say to me almost apologetically, like, but I just don't like to run. Or, mm-hmm. or oh, it, running really hurts my knees. I'm like, oh, well, don't do it. It's not those you know, people like, jump on the elliptical. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Or like sit on the recumbent bike until they're cross eyed, right? <laughs> yeah, no, thank you for bringing that up. Because I see a lot of people still following the same old um the same old trajectory of you know which was probably there in the 80s or the 90s where a lot of people were running marathons and a lot of people were outside running and you know i did it for the longest period of time i've i used to love running and just because it used to make me feel better and i think when we are running like you mentioned you get these endorphins and you get this runner's high and somewhere or the other it becomes our comfort zone And then we don't want to let go of that comfort zone because it stayed with us for a long period of time. And then we don't want to do something new, which is Mm -hmm. uncomfortable. Okay, cool. So since we've moved uh, the exercise piece out, what about alcohol? So what's the role of alcohol in weight loss? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we want to acknowledge that alcohol is, of course, a toxin. So there is that, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And Are all alcohol toxic? Yeah, all, all alcohol is a toxin. You know, not, you know, it will go, it will be processed through our liver, right? It's, it's, it get, goes through those detox pathways, right? Um, now, there's certainly there's some alcohol that's going to be um, have less problematic for our body than others, and that's fundamentally, I think about a few different things with that. One is its impact on insulin. Like, is it a high sugar alcohol or not? Right? It is a pina colada. Mm-hmm. Pina colada. Or, yeah, that's right? the first thing that comes to my mind. <laughs> 
<laughs> or like the espresso martini. They're like yeah. all the rage. I'm like, you're drinking a milkshake after dinner. Are you kidding me? Exactly. Right? You know, it's so, but it's in a martini glass. So it looks super chic. Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so th- those are, you know, going to really do a number, not just on the top, you know, you're getting the toxins plus you're just, you know, doing a number on your, your insulin and your blood sugar. Right. So to me, I think about it like, um, you know, what would, you know, first of all, I, I encourage in, in honor of meeting people where they are, if alcohol is something that's a big part of your life, the first step I encourage people to take is to simply start counting the number of drinks they're having in a week, right? Because some people have no idea. You know, I can tell you when I was in my 20s, there was a time in my life where if you'd asked me how many drinks I had in a week, I wouldn't be trying to lie, I don't think. But I pro- I know I would have significantly underestimated, right? It was just like, oh, I'm eight. You know, I would definitely was not having eight, you know? And so first of all, just get like, there's no shame, right? You are where you are. And you do what you do for a wide variety of reasons. Um, it's a big part of socializing for a lot of people. But let's just start by wrapping our head around the facts. So by that, I mean, as an individual, start counting your drinks, right? And so at a certain point after you are able to see your actions, my hope and wish is that you're able to make some shifts. And those shifts might look like, okay, I'm going to say goodbye to the espresso martini. I'm going to drop the sugar bomb and I'm going to do something, a vodka soda, right? Whatever. Just like a lower sugar drink instead. So making that shift. And then at a certain point, you might say, okay, I'm going to reduce the total number of drinks I'm having. And you can play a game there, right? Maybe you decide for yourself that it's easier for you to pick three or four days a week where you are going to completely be a no for alcohol, right? And that's fine. But for other people, maybe it's easier for them to say, okay, I'm going to create an alcohol cap of, let's just say, again, we want to honor where you, you the individual is. So if someone's typically having four to five drinks, maybe you bring it down by one a night max, right? And you just mm-hmm. start chunking away at it one foot in front of the other. And that's really one of the reasons why I think so many people fail to truly master this area of their life, their health and vitality and their weight is because the plug and play diets that are out there are a little bit like asking people to go from knowing how to walk. Okay. I know how to walk. Well, now tomorrow you're going to climb Mount Everest. What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, so all those diets that are in Instagram and you're yay. just looking at other people doing something. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So yes, it is true that alcohol in excess really of about four to six drinks a week for women and, you know, double that for men does start to show up in the as an impacting longevity and increasing the risk of other diseases down the road. So Okay, great. You know, that's true. Let's not beat ourselves up. Let's just get into action. Let's start looking at where you are Mm -hmm. and let's start looking at what your next best step is. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting how alcohol just impacts our overall health, not just our weight, but our overall health. Because I also think that, you know, it disrupts then even when we eat with alcohol or we eat around alcohol, it disrupts the entire absorption of nutrients mm. and it can lead to other factors like sleep deprivation or not having the right amount of sleep, less REM sleep. Um, 
sometimes when we're having alcohol, we're even making poorer choices on what to order. Because I know most of my friends will go to a McDonald's. They'll, they'll diet all day or not. They'll, they'll have everything in control. But late mm-hmm. at night when they're drinking, McDonald's is their best friend. So right. It also leads us to do these sort of uh, choices, which then impacts our overall uh, yeah, health. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Yeah. And to your point, I love what you pointed out in its impact on sleep, right? Some people think, oh, but I sleep like a dream. Well, if you're tracking sleep, you'll start to see the, you know, with an aura ring or a whoop band or, you know, like that, you will see the impact of alcohol on your sleep cycles, on your recovery, all those different things. And, um, and then we have the double whammy of, you know, when we sleep, our brain takes out the trash, right? That's when our neuroglymphatic system, system, right, is most active is when we're sleeping. And so we've just put a bunch of toxins in our body and we're going to sleep. We're not going to sleep well and our body's not going to be as good at getting those toxins out of our body. So yeah, lots of And then of you're going to crave for sugar next day and you're going to eat more sugar. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. So it's like a vicious cycle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of people who... A lot of people who drink alcohol drink alcohol because they helps the helps the individual fall asleep fast, so the sleep latency is mm. higher. But then the sleep duration and the sleep stages and the sleep disturbances, which you can, like you mentioned, you can read up on an aura ring or a whoop band, is off the chart. Like especially even if the days I would have one single, one or two single uh, drinks of alcohol, mm. even if I time it three to four hours before my sleep, I know for a fact that my HRV is going to drop that day and I can yeah. see it. It's like, no matter what I try to do, it's just going to be there. It's a part of it. And a lot of people also have get into more depressive states or have a low outlook on life the next day, because again, the trash is not going out of the brain. So it's in the brain and then it's going to stink. <laughs> right? That's right. Yes. So well yeah. said. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So tell us, we let's look at something else. Now, there is a very big thing around the world around supplements. Now, supplements are great. I think they're amazing because they help us supplement something that we're missing. You mentioned in the beginning, we might be missing certain nutrients, cofactors, enzymes. What are your favorite supplements or weight loss, what have you seen that works? Any experiments, any biohacking supplements that you've been using or seeing? Yeah, well, a a few things. One is, you know, I really do take a data-driven approach. So I always want to take, look at someone's, uh, I do a lot of blood work. When I send Mm -hmm. people to go complete labs, I let them know you're going to feel like you're donating blood. We're getting that much information, right? So, and then, you know, in the way of specialty labs, maybe we're doing a microbiome assessment or we're looking at their adrenals. So it's just to say that different people have different causes, root causes of struggles losing weight, right? We talked about the hormonal impact of food and inflammatory impact of food. In inflammation, for example, there's only one way we can know if inflammation is elevated in your body, and that's with a lab test, right? Most people, sometimes people will come to me and they'll say, oh, you know, I feel inflamed, and I'll ask them how it shows up, and they'll say, oh, my skin's red, or, you know, my joints hurt, or, you know, I'm bloated. Bloated, yeah, most of the times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But more often than not, People are dealing internally with a state of chronic inflammation 
without any symptoms. The only way we know is by getting the labs. So are you looking you know, at C-reactive protein exactly. or HS- HSCRP? HS- HS- yeah. And then homocysteine is another one I look at mm-hmm. a lot. There's some specific to cardiovascular inflammation that I'll look at too, but mm-hmm. those are the two big kind of systemic ones that I'll look at for sure. And then of course, there's some specific to the microbiome and digestive tract that I'll look at as well. But you know, with those, okay. So thinking about the common causes of people struggling with weight loss. Um, One is, you know, making sure insulin sensitivity is really humming along. And that Mm -hmm. to me means their fasting insulin is seven or less. And just Mm -hmm. so people know, labs typically say it's normal until it's about 19. Mm -hmm. So optimal is very different than lab normal. Yeah, they put you in the same category as an 80-year-old from the 1970s era. (laughs) Truly, 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 yes. So when that comes into play, one of my favorite supplements is going to be berberine. And, you know, berberine does, as I'm sure you know, CJ, does so many great things, right? It's going to positively impact cholesterol panels. So for people who have uh, high LDL, low HDL, high total cholesterol, they're, you know, all those, all that jazz, small particles, Mm -hmm. right? Berberine is going to be fabulous and it's going to help support insulin sensitivity. How I dose it when I see insulin is elevated is I'm going to do 500 milligrams three times a day, which is different than Mm -hmm. what it says on the bottle. But again, I'm going to do it based on lab results. So we want to make sure people have lab results. And I would very much discourage, you know, for the person who's like, oh, I have five pounds to lose or something like Mm -hmm. that. I would very much discourage berberine because if your cholesterol is normal and you start taking berberine, you will likely lower your cholesterol and perhaps lower it to a point where it's so low, your body then struggles to produce sex hormones. Yeah, so Not you have fun. endocrine, yeah, yes. endocrine problems. Yeah, okay. impacts your cortisol production, impacts your sex hormone production because all those things are sex hormones and cortisol are produced from cholesterol. Cholesterol is like uh, to the mother hormone. hormone. Yes, exactly, exactly. Right, you got it. So, but that that's what I would say. If insulin is elevated, for sure, I'm going to be reaching for that berberine. Mm-hmm. Um, if inflammation is elevated, I'm going to be reaching for a very specific form of curcumin called Mariva because it's the mm-hmm. one that I have found has the biggest impact. There are lots. What's of difference? Yeah, Mariva. Mm-hmm. Curcumin, which as your listeners might know, is the active ingredient in turmeric. So people will Mm -hmm. use turmeric and curcumin interchangeably. That's fine. So um, curcumin is very difficult for the body to absorb. And sometimes you'll hear about people saying, oh, make sure it's complexed with black pepper. And yeah, yeah, that does help. That puts holes in the gut, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, right. And so this specific form, it's a patented form of curcumin, but a lot of different companies use it. So it's not like you Mm -hmm. can only find it in one place, but it's called Mariva. And studies show that it has its biggest impact. And then clinically speaking, I can definitely vouch for that. I've played with different curcumins. And by far, this is the one that I found has the biggest impact on lowering, measurably lowering inflammation. So for someone whose HSCRP is up, I'll probably only hit the curcumin super hard if it's over three. If it's mm-hmm. lower than that, to me, it's just kind of like, okay, we got to clean other stuff up and then the inflammation is going to just take care of itself. But if inflammation is over three, then it's going to be you know, kind of that vicious circle of inflammation that we want to break. 
and I'll grab that curcumin and we'll probably dose it at one gram three times a day. Maybe I'll do it twice a day, just depending on what else we're dealing with. But specifically that Mariva um, form, which again, multiple supplement companies carry uh, a product with that Mariva form. Okay, great. And for the berberine, are you um, advising to take it with meals, before meals, after meals? That What's one with or without food. I haven't really seen a huge impact if people take it with or without food. So yeah, okay. yeah. I and I also I love that because my gosh, it's like complicated enough to take supplements. So <laughs> if we can, but but really, truly, if if it did make a difference, of course, I would I would highlight that. Yeah. But with or without food. Have you tried dihydroberberine? I have not. Have you? Yes, I have. Yes. And what it's, have you noticed? I've, I feel it's much, much more impactful. Like most of the studies, they show it's like six times higher, um, works six times better than the normal berberine. Mm. And now a lot of these formulas are making it with the dihydroberberine. But I've tried mm. berberine itself versus dihydroberberine. I love it. And so can you tell me, CJ, um, what do you notice either in your labs or how you feel? Because I'm always like, okay, what outcome? With the berberine? Yeah, 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 yeah. I use, I mostly use it, um, I can tell you how I feel because I use it as a glucose disposal agent before I Uh eat my meals. Okay. So Mm -hmm. the time of the day that I'll have a higher carb meal, Mm. I'll have it before. But most of the times I'm pretty fat adapted. So my metabolism in regulating uh, carbohydrates it's pretty good but i'll still have it because i have seen in my family history that we have a higher chance of getting diabetes mm-hmm. and since i don't want that i'll have it like in 30 minutes before i have my meal yeah. and i feel if i don't have a meal along with it my blood sugar will drop so low that i might you know i might feel get lightheaded yeah, yeah exactly a nauseous or headache but i know also, the time that I want to indulge in a very high carb meal, if I have like two two capsules of dihydroberberine, I'm good. Yeah. I also yeah. combine it with um, banana B extract, and I have some other GD uh, glucose disposal agents as well. Mm-hmm. And I think a combination of all of those things together does the trick. Yeah. We have we have an Ayurvedic um, Ayurvedic herb. It's called um, bitter melon. Yes. I'm trying to, yeah. Yes, so yes, bitter yes, melon yes. as well is really good. Uh-huh. They've been using it for centuries in India for the longest yeah. period of time. And you can have a concentrated version. Yeah, I like that. And I've also been trying now when we were talking about inflammation. One thing that I'm experimenting with now, which I tried to do it four years ago, but it was very expensive and I was just, I couldn't do it every day. But I'm trying C60. Have you heard mm-hmm. about C60? Carbon I'm not 60? familiar with C60. Yeah, so C60 is a molecule, it's called Buckminster Fullerene, and it's basically a six, molecularly, it looks like a football, and they say it's one of the, in my studies, they have seen that it's, it could reverse their age up to 95%. Mm. It's it's like the highest ranking one. Mm. The thing is, not a lot of people know about it, it's still coming up, and there's a lot of studies being done, we don't have enough data. Mm-hmm. But now I'm experimenting with that. I'll send you a few links to that. That'd be later. great. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Amazing. Now, you know, we've spoken about all of these things, but I want to address something else as well, which is our mental health. Because World Health Organization estimates that in 2025, almost, no, not 2025, 2035, almost 40% of the world's population will have a mental health issue. 
And what we're seeing around the world these days is things like anxiety, depression, and some more complex things as well. What I want to know from you, because you have such a great knowledge in nutrition and physiology, do these things start in the mind or do they start with our food, our physiology, and then it travels up to our brain? Because we spoke about inflammation, you know, we spoke about hormones and there's a lot of neurochemicals and neuromodulators, and most of them depend on the way we live and the way we eat. So, yeah, I want to take, I want to get your take on that. Yeah. Well, I would say it's all interconnected, right? I I would say it's not one answer or the other, but Mm -hmm. certainly how we're caring for our body, our body, you know, um, in, in a traditional medicine model, you have the neurologist and the pathologist and the psych- mm-hmm. psychiatrist, right? You have people, but I mean, we're, it, it's all connected. It's all connected, it's all right? <laughs> right. And so our gut health affects our mental health. Our mm-hmm. inf- total inflammation affects our, infl- our gut, our, our mental health rather. Um, whether we're moving or not affects our mental health. Whether we're engaging joyfully with others, like being with people, actually being with people affects our mental health, of course. Um, being outside in, affects our mental health, right? So there's so many different points of leverage. Uh, mm-hmm. and in, in, and so it's all so, you know, very connected. Our omega-3 levels, our omega-3 status is, mm-hmm. is a great point of leverage for our mental health and well-being. Uh, but there are so many, you know, keeping our blood sugar levels stable affects our anxiety levels and our mood, right? So lots of different things we can do to support our mind, to support our mental health and well-being for sure. Amazing. Thank you for that. And uh, yeah, we've come, it's been a great chat. We've come to an end of this interview. I would like to ask you my last question, which is if you had a time machine and you can go back into time and go meet your younger self and give yourself one piece of advice, what would that be? Oh my goodness. I would tell myself, um, especially, you know, one of the reasons why I so love working with people in the area of weight is because I struggled with it for so many years, you know, for over a decade, I grew up dancing. And um, to me, I think it's really interesting, because I always used to say, you know, I love, love, love dancing. So I don't regret having grown up dancing at all. But standing in front of a mirror, looking at yourself for 20 hours a week, when you're 14, is not necessarily like the best thing. But now everybody has an experience with it being on zoom and social media. So welcome. You know, um, it's kind of funny, um, kind of, but, but anyway, so to me, um, you know, it was such a source of struggle for me. And at one point in my life, you know, in my mid twenties, I kind of surrendered to the universe and the powers that be. And I said, if you will guide me and collaborate with me in finding my way to be empowered in this area, I promise I will devote my life to providing the same for others. And so, you know, I want to go back to, I'd go back to my younger self and just say, you're going to figure it out. You're, you're going to figure it out. You know, that being said, I think the, the struggle was an important part of my devotion, right? Cause you know, how do we make change? It's a little bit, there's the carrot dangling, the future we envision or intend. And then there's the stick on the back, like the suck to mm-hmm. be quite frank. Right. Yeah. And so I, I, I kind of, as, as much as 
I think about my younger self and I, and it, it tears me up and it tears me up to see other young people when I can see them struggling. Um, but at the same time, it's like, that was so crucial to me finding my own way and developing tools. And, and of course, that's always, that's always, um, you know, being in the, in the evolutionary game means we're always developing tools, um, mm -hmm. but to contribute to others meaningfully in this area of their lives. Amazing. Thank you for that. And young people, if you're listening to this, it's okay to be confused. It's okay to struggle a little bit, but you just don't get disheartened because yeah. at the end of the end of the day or end of the week or end of the month or end of a few months, you're going to figure it out. That's bound to happen. Just be patient, wait, be curious and give it a hundred percent. You know, life is, um, the game of life is that once you fail, you'll start seeing success. It doesn't happen the other way. Someone or the other has to fail in something in their life. And that's a stepping stone to envisioning greater possibilities, getting a better clarity on things. And then you use that to your advantage. Use the universe to your advantage because it's always working for you and not against you. So that being said, Jesse, thank you so much for all the great things that you've been doing, all the lives that you've changed, all the great conversation that we have had. If people want to find out more about you, maybe they want to get in touch with you. Maybe they want to book a session with you. I know that you have a course online, which is going to start soon as well. And uh, you do a lot of seminars and a lot of other things. How can people get in touch with you? What's the best way? Yeah. So please visit me on my website, wellempowered.com. And as CJ said, I'm going to be launching a course in the fall and it's going to be basically uh, by acceptance only. So you can engage in a complimentary 30 minute consultation, whether you're someone who would be interested in the course or working one on one, that 30 minute complimentary consultation is there for you to sign up for. And then also when you do that, you will get access to uh, I've got a, a, a big library of free webinars that are hey, on my free website gifts. also. Amazing. Yeah, <laughs> for sure, for sure. Absolutely. So yes, and then on Instagram, you can find me at Well Empowered. Great. Amazing. Thank you so much. And this is your host, CJ, signing out from the Shift with CJ podcast. Everyone have a great day, great week, great month, and a great lifetime ahead of you. Stay empowered. Take care, guys. Your time and presence with us through this podcast is highly appreciated. If you want to learn more, then head over to our website, www.shiftwithcj.com.